0: Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. So happy Easter. Yesterday was a kid apocalypse. I I sent a text to the whole team thanking everybody for being here, and Jeremy's like, this was awesome. It was a kid apocalypse. And I did hear this, and I did not know this. Where's Joe Chinesi? Where's Joe? Joe's somewhere. There he is. Joe had taken like four different eggs, and he put like five bucks in one egg and several singles in different eggs, and I guess he told the kids that, and some of those bigger kids went Crazy. (laughs) Now, if I knew if there was five bucks in an egg, I would have been like knocking people down, get my free coffee. So it is so good to be here. So exciting. I love, I love Easter. I love Good Friday. I love the holidays. I love it because of what Jesus has done in my life. And not only in my life, but knowing so many of your life stories, knowing so many of your life stories, I celebrate Easter with you. And so, today, I want to be, Lord willing, simply profound. So, let me give you a a funny little story. How many of us love the kid pageants, right? The kid pageants, right? The kids' programs, right? Do we love the kids' programs? Like, last week was Palm Sunday, and all the kids were coming down, and they kept coming and coming, and as parents, when we go to our kids' programs, there's mixed feelings. Like, yes, this is going to be great, Everyone's all dappered up, ready to go, cameras ready, but there's also a little fear and intrepidation. Do I get an amen for that? Right? So when you're in church and you say amen, it just means yes. That's all it means is yes. When Jesus said yes to the Father, he said amen. So the spiritual way to say yes is amen. So if you've ever had children, how many of you are terrified when your kids get on stage? Do I get an amen? Amen. I know I am. Sometimes on a Sunday morning when my oldest is here, I am terrified to preach because I never know what's going to happen with him. He, for some reason, has this beautiful way of responding when I preach. And sometimes questions are rhetorical, but he loves to answer them for the whole congregation. So I'll never, I'll, I'll never forget when he was little. Sue and I would get ready, cameras ready to go, and anything could happen with Brandon, right? So let me tell a story about a different little boy. His name was Billy, and it was an Easter program, and it was time for him to get ready to say his line, a simple line. He's not here. He's risen, right? And so everyone's ready. Mom and dad ready to go. The director of the program's all ready to go, and all of a sudden, he practiced it a thousand times at home, worked perfectly at home. No one's in the kitchen but Mommy and Billy. And then all of a sudden, the whole place stops, and it's Billy's turn. And the director's like, say it, say it, and he froze. And so you get this picture of the the director saying, he's not here, he's risen. And everyone's like, mom and dad, come on, come on, come on. He's not here, he's risen. And then all of a sudden, little Billy gets everything up in him, and he goes, he's not here, he's in prison. Imagine being the parents. Oh, my gosh. That's a really great, horrific day. Now, the truth of the matter is this. How many of you come to a holiday service and you're just dragged to a holiday service? Or you're dragging your friends or you're dragging your family and you're like, come on, come on, come on. They're like, why are we going to church? We're like, I don't know. We're just supposed to. Right? And so there's this confusion in us. Like, we, we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate Good Friday, we celebrate Easter, and we're like, just come. And they're like, what does it mean? We'll find out. And so literally for this Easter, as I was praying through our Easter sermon series called Christ Our King, I really felt like so many people now more than ever are like little Billy. They're just, said, just say it, just believe it, just embrace it but never fully grasping what the Easter message actually is. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to give you the Easter message. I want to sum up the gospel in just a short time. Do I have permission to do that? Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for this morning. And God, I ask you for just the ability to be simply profound. I thank you that we are gathered here. We are not dragged here. We are gathered here. And I ask you that in our time together, that you would give clarity to the gospel, the good news, the best news. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible and you want to turn with me, turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses one through seven. Otherwise, it's behind me, and I get to read it in front of me. So let's read together. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him. And they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, Don't be afraid. Seriously? Like seriously. He said, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now... Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. So let's look at this. It's Easter Sunday or Easter morning. Jesus was crucified two days earlier. And he never had the full burial rites because it was Passover. It was the Feast of Freedom. It was the High Holy Week. And so there were limitations to what they could do. Now, when we read each of the Gospels, there are different aspects of the Easter narrative. But in this one, it tells of the two women who went to the tomb. And when they went there, they went there in sorrow, in sadness. Everything that they were hoping to happen had come to an end. The movement had stopped. This whole idea of Jesus being Messiah, the conquering servant, the one who was going to take away the sins of the world and redeem Israel, that's what they wanted, right? Jesus, son of David, they wanted him to take over Jerusalem again. All of that was finished. And so they went to the tomb. They they waited for the proper time to finish the proper burial rites. So imagine this. Death is sorrowful, right? On Tuesday, I have to perform a, uh, a funeral, and there's going to be sorrow. There's going to be a sense of loss, something that cannot be recuperated. And so as they go, they're thinking, of all the great things that Jesus had done, all the promises that had failed in that moment. And so they went. They went. And when they went, all of a sudden, something supernatural occurred. They show up. An angel shows up, appears, sits on the tomb. The stone divinely rolls away. And as it divinely rolls away, the soldiers fall and they faint almost as if they were dead. But then there was another thing. There was an earthquake. The earth shook. Now imagine, being these two ladies, the fear, the overwhelming sense of loss, now feeling as if destruction was falling all around them. But let's think for a moment. Think about Jesus' birth. Think about God all throughout history. Think about all the the signs and wonders that God has performed, the way He created the world. Think about the Israelites at the Red Sea when He parted the waters. Think about when when the ground was opened up and it swallowed individuals. Think about Jesus' birth when the angels appeared, not only to Mary, but also to Joseph. And then two days earlier, we always forget about this when we give the Easter message. In Matthew chapter 27, the author deliberately says, at the crucifixion, there was an earthquake. The earth rumbled. The earth was groaning. And here, it happened again. And right away, the angel says the very same thing that he said to both Mary and Joseph. And now he says to these two ladies, he says, don't be afraid. Now, if you've ever, ever have had a divine encounter, which my prayer is, is everyone who is, who is following Jesus everyone who has ever been part of our church, that you would have a divine encounter that you should have a little fear. You should have a little awe. You should have a little wonder because the presence of the living God is purposely meeting you right in your moments. Amen? Amen. I can look around this room and I can tell you stories of the divine meeting with individuals, Stories that Eddie and I have talked about. Stories about Chris and I have talked about. The chocolate milk, right? Like stories of these divine moments when when God just shows up in people's lives. For Omar, how many divine moments have we had together? And and in those moments, there's been a sense of awe and wonder and, and really a sense of fear. Why? Because the God of the universe wants to meet with us. He wants to meet with humanity, God's greatest creation. And so all of a sudden, these ladies are met by the divine. It wasn't them going to God, but God coming to us. Have you ever thought of that? That God, the living God, the creator of the universe, wants to have a divine relationship with humanity, his greatest creation. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. We have it backwards, that we have to find God, chase God, hunt him down. No, it's just like these two ladies. When we say to ourselves, we are going to be present and wait on the King of kings and Lord of lords, guess what? He shows up. Amen. And so here's what it says. Verse 8 The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. They were very frightened, but they were also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angels' message. They were overwhelmed by this unthinkable act. They were overwhelmed with everything playing out. But most importantly... Most importantly, they were filled with great joy. And here's why they were filled with great joy. What they thought that had died, the hopes, the dreams, the promises, the prophecies that Jesus was saying that were being fulfilled before their very eyes, and all of them had died, had now been resurrected. And not only the promises, not only the hope, but the one who possessed all the hope that they were leaning into and trusting in. Jesus was risen. He's alive. Plant family. And if you're here for the first time, you are family. Plant family. He is alive. He is not in the prison of a grave. He is alive and risen and sitting at the right hand of the Father. And the women took this message and they ran to where? It says they ran to Galilee. Just as they did when Jesus was with them, they trusted his instructions. Now they know that he's alive again. They're trusting his instructions to go to Galilee and tell the good news. He ain't here. There should be no more fear. No more being overwhelmed with the unknown. And when I read the gospel Message, and I read about Easter Sunday. Two things run through my mind. I remember one Easter that changed my life forever. I was a young believer, and I had a God moment with with Jesus like probably never before. I remember that Easter more than any other Easter in the history of my life because I divinely met with Jesus. But second, when I think about Easter, I think about the fullness of who Jesus is. It's either Jesus is is all real or he's not. Amen? Amen? It's either all of Jesus or none of Jesus. You either should believe in all of it or none of it because not believing in the wholeness of Jesus, you miss out on the whole gospel message. It's like having a one sided coin. If you went to the store and you had a one-sided coin, what could you buy with it? Nada. Nothing. But the fullness of Jesus tells us everything about who he is and who we are as sons and daughters of God. So who is our Jesus? It says in Scripture that Jesus is our Savior. It says in John 3.16, for God loved the world so much... That he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Yes, Jesus came to redeem humanity. Amen? Amen. Right? He came to redeem humanity. And let me say this simply. Jesus is both an inclusive God and an exclusive God. Well, what do you mean about that? Two-sided coin, right? There's always two sides to every truth. First, he's inclusive, meaning it's for everybody. The gospel's for everybody. No matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, no matter your background, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your dialect, no matter where you are from, Jesus is for all. But he's exclusive in this. He's the way to the Father, Everyone's like, well, can't there be more ways to God? Why would God want to confuse an already confused creation, right? We're already confused enough. And God says, there's not 30 paths that lead to one top of the mountain. He's saying, I'm going to make it so clear for you. I'm going to take my son, and he's going to be the greatest sacrifice for all humanity and in him, and by him, and through him, we have eternal life. I know that's a sticking point for people. But that's the biblical truth. It's either all Jesus is right, or all of Jesus is wrong. Someone once said he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Right? He has to be one of those three. But I would say, when we come to the gospel message, the Easter message, he has shown that he has given his life for all. It also says in Scripture, it says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And who's Jesus talking about? He's talking about the evil one. He's talking about Satan himself, the one who pulled away from God, the one who wanted to be his own God, the one who is called the prince of this age. Yes, this world is evil. We see evil all around us every single day. It's happening here. It's happening overseas. It's happening in Uganda. It's happening in people's homes. It's happening in people's communities. Evil is real. And here's what Jesus says. He says, my purpose, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Amen. Jesus did not come to put us under more rules and regulations and bring confusion to us. He says, I want to give you a rich and satisfying life. Jesus is our sanctifier. What does that mean? He set us apart to be identified as children of God, and he set us apart that we no longer have to be controlled by the things that this world tries to control us with. And because I'm set apart, and if you are in Christ and you are set apart, yes, you get to live the best life that God created you to live. How awesome is that? But then it says in Scripture, the prophecy, we talked about this on Friday night, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Yes, Jesus is our healer. That's a prophecy fulfilled. Jesus heals emotionally, Jesus heals spiritually. Jesus heals relationally. Jesus heals physically. Over the last month, we have celebrated someone in our church who had a really, really, really big physical healing. Someone who was terrified. Someone who already battled with the disease once and something reappeared. And after we had prayed for her, Guess what? Gone. Gone. Even the doctor was shocked. Even the people in the doctor's office, the receptionists, were giddy because they never saw this before. Her best friend said to the doctor, have you ever seen this happen before? He goes, no. She goes, then it's a miracle. I claim it. He never saw it before. That which was on the scans were completely re Moved. Amen? Yeah, it's a mystery, but it's not only a mystery, it's a reality. It's something we wrestle with in our humanness, but God does the miraculous. It says, By his stripes we are healed. You know, when he went to Thomas, remember this, he said, Put your hand, put your hand where my nails were, where the nails were, put your hand in them. By his wounds, by his scars, we are healed. And lastly, this is another picture of an angel. Acts chapter 1. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Jesus is coming back. I said it a little bit earlier, but I have to perform a a funeral on Tuesday. What a privilege. What a privilege it's going to be. To be part of Lena's funeral service. Because I believe it was on Monday, Fran, please correct me, that on Monday she gave her heart to Christ. And now she is present with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Seriously, amen? How cool is that, right? Yeah, it's pretty cool. She's in heaven. Seriously, amen? How awesome is that? And when I talked to Fran, I said, oftentimes on holidays, People think when someone passes right before the holiday, it ruins every holiday moving forward. I said, what a great way to celebrate Easter. Your mom, your Lena, is with Jesus. She has eternity. She led the way for you. She led the way that she's in paradise, and you will see her again. Amen? Amen. How awesome is that? Jesus is our king. He's our eternal king. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. How awesome is that? So, let me say this again. Who's this for? Turn to the person on your left. Say, it's for you. Turn to the person on your right. It's for you. The problem is when you do that, you're never looking at anyone, right? So everyone look at each other and say, it's for you, right? It's for you, right? I got to get this right sometime, right? It's for you, right? It's for you, Mimi. It's for you. It's for you. And, And so it's true. Everyone has an opportunity. Everyone has an opportunity. That's the beauty of our God, that he loved us so much. He's not here. He's not in prison. He's risen. He's risen. Hopefully, little Billy was taught the right way. But but I want to just let me just end with, with four little quick things. I promise you they will be quick because everyone wants to get out of here. Everyone's like, Rob, you really preach quick on Easter. It's Easter, I have to. First, we have to embrace Easter is the great mystery of our faith. Do I get an amen for that? Right? There are things about Easter that I can do my best to try to clarify, and you are going to ask me four million questions, but the truth is, there's a mystery. Will we ever comprehend Mary's birth fully in our humanness? No. Will we ever fully comprehend the resurrection? No. But the beauty is, is that when we allow ourselves in the divine to embrace the mystery, we are able to be in a living, breathing, growing relationship with God. That's only found in Jesus. That's the mystery. In In a society, in a world, that's so eager for certainty, scientific explanation, and clear answers, there's still a mystery in this life that God says, step out. Believe. I've laid it out for you. That's the beauty. And when we step out in our faith, it aligns us with the living God allowing us to have a divine encounter that changes the course for each one of us. Why were the Marys at the tomb? Because they had a divine encounter with the mystery of heaven that changed the course of their life. Second, the resurrection does not negate suffering. Please, Let's not forget this. The resurrection does not negate the suffering. Remember, again in John 20, I already said it once this morning, when Jesus went to his disciples, and one of his disciples was struggling with the divine mystery, he said, Thomas, Mr. Anxiety, doubting Thomas, that's really what he wrestled with. Like, that's really what doubting is. It was a form of anxiety, anxiety. And if you really study the Gospels and, and you study the life of Thomas, Thomas was the disciple that wrestled with anxiety. So if you wrestle with anxiety, you're in really good company. You're in good company. And Jesus wants to bring assurance even in your anxieties. Because a resurrection does not negate suffering. Thomas, put your hand in the holes, that's nasty. I'll trust you, right? Seriously. Put your hands. Touch my side. Touch my side. Yes. We oftentimes think about this whole idea of the suffering of Jesus as like a one and done triumph. No. He took on the weight of the world. The beating he went through. The massacre he went through. The humiliation he went through. The death he went through all had purpose. That you and I could be in a living, breathing, life giving relationship with Jesus Christ. But it could only come through his willingness to suffer. And it's because of his suffering that the the power of the resurrection is validated. So the power of the resurrection, what did the power of the resurrection do? The power of the resurrection conquered sin and death. Yes, in our earthly bodies, we will all pass. But because of Jesus, we get to live eternally for Forever, forever, there is hope moving forward. I've always thought about it this way. The moment I came to Jesus, the power of the resurrection became alive in my life. And I put the old rob to death. And this day moving forward was just preparing for eternity. Because one day, If you are in Christ, you will stand before the living God, and he will recognize you, and you will recognize him. How awesome is that? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? The Easter story reminds us, even in our worst moments, Life can come out of them. Even in our worst moments, God still will do the miraculous because the greatest miracle that humanity has ever experienced is the resurrection. It's through the power of the resurrection each one of us is invited for this last point and I'm going to wrap it up right now. But Easter is the new beginning. Easter is the new beginning. One of the hardest things for a pastor is that next Sunday is the least attended church service of the year. Dude, it's rough. It's rough. I usually give it to my other guys. Like, honestly, for my own soul's sake, I'm like, honey, can we please go to Vermont next weekend? Can we please go to Vermont? My soul is going to be jacked up. And she's like, be a big boy, show up at church, you can do this. And it's 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 true. It's almost like we get it all confused. It's like Christmas to Easter, and then we just kind of fall off the wagon and we wait till September to try to get re-engaged with the things of Jesus. No, Easter is the beginning. Jesus said to his disciples, wait, wait, wait in Jerusalem. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples, you're going to do even greater things than I did? Like seriously, Jesus, you did some really cool things. We're going to do even greater things. Yes! You're going to do even greater things and you're going to do them together. Easter's the beginning. Guess what? Pentecost happens and the same presence, the Holy Spirit. This is Bible 101. Bible 101. The same spirit of God that lived in Jesus. If Jesus is your king, the same spirit of God lives in you. Amen? 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 We have life. We have transformation. I am not the same Rob Parker. I was 30 years ago. Trust me, you wouldn't let him up here. You wouldn't let him up here. He would be over there in counseling sessions. Probably deliverances. But it's true. It's true, because of Jesus, each one of us. we are granted a new beginning, because the presence of Jesus is given to us in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? That's a good message. That's a good message. That's a good message. And my prayer is is that was simply.